What a podcast we've got for you today. Elia Kipchoge, 159.41 in the marathon. Rigid Koskai, 214.04. We discussed that. Shoes, controversy. Jordan Assay and Galen Rupp, both dropping out of the Chicago Marathon. We preview the men's and women's Olympic marathon trials. We've got explosive listener audio. We've got Rojo eating crow. All of that coming up next. As always, if you've got feedback for the podcast, call 844-LET'S-RUN or go to letsrun.com slash podcast. And if you need a new pair of shoes, be sure to get them at letsrun.com slash shoes. We've got thousands of shoe reviews. You can find the best lightweight shoes, the best shoes for pronators, the best shoes for underpronators, the best shoes for marathon runners. You can find a great deal of shoes, the best price on shoes. It's all there. All right, here we go. With the pace setters celebrating in the background. And Kipchoge pointing to the clock. A barrier once thought impossible is now broken. Elliot Kipchoge is the first sub two-hour marathoner. From Let's Run.com, May 6th, 2013. An article by Robert Johnson, the myth of the sub two-hour marathon, begins as such. Despite the dumb mainstream press articles of a sub-two-hour marathon, the fact of the matter is, humans aren't close to doing it without the help of some undetectable drugs. With perfect conditions and a perfect course and a tiny negative split, humans pretty much right now are capable of running the marathon in about 2.03.30. The world record is 2.03.38 for a reason. October 12th, 2019 in Vienna, Austria, Elliot Kipchoge covered the marathon distance in 1 hour 59 minutes 41 seconds robert johnson what do you have to say for yourself well at first glance that quote has not aged very well has it i'm glad people no one took me up on my offer to bet my retirement savings on that fact but an amazing accomplishment by elliot i mean a great run no doubt but I, I, I still stand by much of, of what I wrote there. And if, if you just replaced undetectable drugs with undetectable shoe technology, then I would stand by it. Um, I, I don't think that he is three minutes or now it's two minutes better than anyone else in history. And, you know, I, I think that the Nike shoe technology has totally warped everything that is viewed as a good marathon performance. I mean, how else do you explain 214.04 in the same weekend? The fact that that happened a day later, Bridget Coast guy shattering the unbreakable record of Paul Radcliffe by so much and all alone. And Weldon Johnson's aided course record. Weldon is no longer rabid to the Chicago Marathon course record as well. Bad weekend for both Johnson brothers. Yeah, Robert, I think you make a, you make a good point there. Obviously, the shoes have an effect. But above all, I really do think that we need to appreciate how amazing Elliot Kipchoge is. And we say this every time he races, but the lasting image of my mind is the final hundred meters with him sprinting away. And you see the seven elite pacemakers behind him. They're just jumping up and down, freaking out. They can't believe he's done this. Once he crosses the finish line, he goes, he grabs his wife, Grace. They embrace. That's the first time she's ever seen him run a marathon. And then all the paces just mob him, just trying to touch him. They're just, they can't believe this accomplishment. And these are some of the most accomplished runners in the world. There was Matthew Centrowitz. He said the whole time that he was pacing Kipchoge, this is the Olympic 1500 meter champion. He just thought how much of an honor it was to be pacing a legend like him. And 
to me, that's that's what's amazing is this accomplishment. Even runners who do amazing things every day, they're in awe of it. And I think the whole running world's in awe of it. President Barack Obama was in awe of it. He tweeted out, congrats to Kipchoge and Bridget Kosgai. I think it was awe-inspiring. Obviously, the shoes help, but I think really it's an incredible accomplishment. All right, guys. Yes, it's incredible. Yes, it's awe-inspiring. But I feel like you know the cheat code has come to the marathon. And first of all, first of all, let's let's take these one by one. Kipchoge's one fifty nine forty one. It was expected. The betting odds. I, I saw a betting site in Kenya. It had the odds at about fifty four percent of this happening. And I know of a journalist, John. You can reveal the name. I'm not sure if we're supposed to keep it quiet. And he bet about six hundred bucks on Kipchoge breaking it with with the odds in favor of Kipchoge breaking it. So let's not pretend that this was like not expected. Smart people thought this would happen. I think even more running people probably would have said, I would have probably put 75%. I wish I had known about the betting because I would have put some money on it. Um, was it. Was it inspiring? Was it great to see the world's greatest marathoner so pumped and talking about inspiring people and making people think about new barriers? Yes. But what does it mean for the sport of, of marathoning? Uh, I don't think it means that much. Like, Eli Kipchoge there isn't a much better runner than he was in Berlin. Kinesi Bekele just ran 201.41, which is, I think, only two seconds behind Kipchoge. And you throw in the shoes, you throw in the pacing, and like, what does it mean? It means it, it's a, it's a triumph for a sort of human, I don't know, tinkering, human ingenuity. But it's not a triumph for what a human being can actually run. We've just changed the rules of the game a bit. Better shoes, better pacing. You know, they, I don't know. Maybe now we'll do studies on the V, the inverted. We had the forward V, and now you got the inverted V for the pacing. And the next day. When Bridget Kosky goes out and drops a 214.04, like, holy crap. I think it just showed something else is going on here. Yeah, absolutely. And a couple of points of clarification. One, we're referring to this time as 159.41. The official time was 159.40.2. But as Robert pointed out in the week that was this week, uh, road racing times are r- routed up to the nearest second. So hence 159.41. But the other thing about this is, I do want to give credit to Kipchoge and to Nike and to his whole team for innovating because even with all of these advances, two and a half years ago when they tried breaking two for the first time, I thought they wouldn't even come close to two hours. I I, I was just completely convinced, even with advanced shoes, even with these advanced pacing techniques and the drafting, they wouldn't even come close to it. Then they ran two flat 25 and then after that, it became almost a formality. Most people expected him to do it. So I do think that they totally changed our mindset of what's possible, but they did that more than primarily through these advances that weren't related to just someone being a better athlete. I don't think Kipchoge is much better a runner than he was two years ago. I think it's the the shoes and the, the drafting formation. Agreed. Uh, but also two years ago when this happened, I think most of us thought the shoe stuff was more of a marketing gimmick from Nike. Now people are pretty much across the board saying this is a radical technology, improves performance. Even if you're starting at 1%, that's a radical amount at this amount of, uh, of running. At an elite level, if in the shot put, people are saying 1% to 4%. So let's say in the shot put, you have a film and you can you know, put it on the ball and the ball flies one to two percent farther just because it's like you know more aerodynamic or something i don't know and only the top three guys get access to that film and that would like radically alter even this last shop at two percent would have changed the medals so 
people are, I don't want someone winning something or doing better because they have access to something else. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, you got to take this further back. I don't know if we now, if we want to get into it, thread of the week, I look really differently at those Rio 2016 Olympic marathon results. Now. I mean, there's just a ton of shit. You can go with this and uh, hell Bridget coast guy just ran two fourteen oh four, And we haven't even mentioned it. Paula Radcliffe's untouchable record was just absolutely crushed. I mean, I was so shocked by that one. I don't know where to go guys. Well, I, I think it's interesting to think about this. You know, yes. When the first sub two came on, we thought it was the drafting off the car. As time has gone by, people are realizing it's the shoes. And I think the newest version of these Nike shoes are, are significantly better than the first version, perhaps. But, you know, it's just, it's it's hard to analyze any of this because it's such a big thing. I mean, in our sport, when if you step on the line in the middle of a 3,000 steeplechase, you're disqualified for some reason. But you can wear a shoe that gives you at least a minute advantage. It's absurd. Now, you know, Weldon talked about the 2016 Olympics. Okay, let's talk a little bit about that 2016 Olympic marathon. I mean, if you want my hot take of the week, I'll, I guess I'll go there now. I mean, I I don't think it's a stretch to say that the results, the, the medals should all be invalidated. Galen Rupp, sorry, your medal stripped. Even Elliot, your gold medal is stripped in silver. I've gone back and looked at it this week, folks. The top three in that race, the three medalists, all were wearing the Nike shoes. Fourth and fifth were not. I think fifth, fourth place was only like 59 seconds behind Rupp. It's clear nowadays, at least, that the new version of the shoes make more than a minute difference. I think most people would say that. You know, it's just we don't know. I, I don't know. But if you, if you read the IAAF rule, it's clear that these shoes, as designed in 2016, were illegal. Here's the rule. IAAF rule 143.2. And I wrote an article that has aged quite well from July 22nd, 2019, saying track and field shoes rules make no sense. This was when I was asking if Safan Hassan's mile track record might be invalidated. Here's the rule. Athletes may compete barefoot or with footwear on one or both feet. The purpose of the shoes for competition is to give protection and stability to the feet and a firm grip of the ground. Such shoes, however, must not be constructed so as to give athletes any unfair assistance or advantage. That was the rule as of 2016. Now another sentence has been added saying any type of shoe must be reasonable, available to all in the spirit of universality of athletics. But let's just go back to this. The purpose of the shoe is to give protection and stability to the feet. That is not the purpose of the vapor flies. The purpose of this shoe is to have you run faster in a marathon. It elevates, it doesn't provide stability in a grip of the ground, it elevates your foot. It elevates your, your, your heel so far off the ground that you're running in a different motion than you normally would. It's changing your form. It, it, it's clearly in violation. And the IAAF, when I've contacted them said, we don't have any proof that these shoes are in violation. What kind of proof do you need? Nike's published a scientific paper. Several non Nike studies have since come out since these shoes came out saying that, that it's a huge advantage. Nike now has gone quiet and is no longer publishing the results of their latest shoes. But the, these shoes are absurd, you know, and I'm not fine. If, if they want to let everybody have them, that's fine. But I, I did think, you know, if you go back and look like the first, admittedly the first time Kipchoge ran two minutes 25, we thought, oh, it was the wind and the drafting. Now people are realizing it's more and more the shoes. 
I remember thinking though when Mary Catani ran like two seventeen, not in these shoes. I thought, well, this doesn't make any sense though, because the shoes are worth so much. She would have broken Radcliffe's record. Yes, she would have broken Radcliffe's record if she'd been wearing the shoes. I think that's convinced, and Bridget Coast guy has proven it. Well, Robert, I, I here's my issue with this whole thing. Well, first of all, Eli Kipchoge, I think everyone acknowledges he was the best marathoner in that Olympics. To strip him of the gold medal, I think is absurd. But point number two. You, you, the whole crux of this is unfair advantage, right? What is unfair versus fair? Okay, I think we can acknowledge the Vaporflies are the best running shoes on the market. They give wearers an advantage versus people that aren't wearing it. But is that unfair? Is it inherently unfair just because it's better than some other shoes? Because there are, there are some other shoes that have very light padding that might be worse than another pair. Is, is that unfair? What about the Adidas Boost Foam? When that came on the market... Specifically, that is towards enhancing performance. Would you argue that all performances in those shoes should be invalidated? I just think, what are we saying is fair versus unfair? What are we comparing it against? It's it's not as simple as you're making it. John, oh my gosh. John's about to get me unhinged over here. The Adidas Boost Foam, I don't know, like the Mizuno, whatever. They've had these things in the past. And yes, they were talking about performance. And no one believed these Nike shoes when they first came out. They thought it was a marketing thing. So a lot of companies are doing a little marketing bullshit and, you know, the Adidas Boost Foam is great. They last a long time, this sort of stuff. But nobody, you know, it, everything was just such a small level. They were all incremental games. This Nike shoe came out. It was a radical transformation. And they kept it so no one else could have access to them. The shoe had never been released to the public. And sure, little prototypes come out. There's little minor changes. But this was a radically different technology. They kept it secret only gave it to top athletes and unleashed it at the 2016 Olympics. This shoe wasn't available until last year on the market. So when you release something, keep it so no one else has it. And it's completely different technology. And it's like a one to three to 4% difference. That's something that needs to be done. And it just shows the weakness in the IWF rules. They measure the shot puts. They measure the length of the track. They have all these world record procedures, yet they're not inspecting the equipment. So they need a way to approve shoes and certain other stuff. But it's clear to me with that rule that was on the books in 2016, to me, unfair advantage for sure, 100%. Now, they didn't enforce this rule or whatever, but I heard that, like, for example, in 2008, there was a special shoe for Jeremy Warner at the, at the Olympics, and Adidas touted this thing, blah, blah, blah. I heard actually extra shoes were printed up it brought to the Olympics in case somebody wanted them. And uh, maybe that's sort of like a bullshit run around around the rule. But like it, it, the concept that like, I don't want somebody winning because they have a shoe. Nobody else has. And that's clearly what Nike wanted because they only gave the shoe to certain people and kind of at first didn't even market it. You know, then they realized, Oh my God, we can actually market this. And I think it's somewhat shows the Nike. You could argue every company does this, or you could argue it's special to Nike, but with the whole Alberto thing, yeah, if you can take a pill that someone else doesn't have and it's technically legal, let's do it. If we can win because we have a shoe that someone doesn't have and it's 1%, 2% difference, that's a huge percentage of this difference. And it needs to be stopped. And now they've added the rule, and people sort of misinterpret this, that you know any type of shoe must be reasonably available to all. So some are saying that means prototypes can't come, but a type of shoe is different than any shoe. So I think the other companies can play catch-up, but we need something in place by the Rio Olympics to make it fair. Well, the good news is other companies are starting to copy it. Saucony apparently has an unreleased version of their shoe. And uh, uh, basically it's kind of a copy of the vapor fly. I've heard that this, that the angle that the vapor fly is, is a patent. So you can't quite copy it. Now I guess you could 
say another company, you know, another runner, do you want to force another runner to violate their endorsement contract? I mean, I, there's no way that I would start the Olympic trials. If I was an American, if I was in the Hoka group, you know, any athlete that ran pretty well last weekend without these shoes, I'd be pumped because I'm thinking I'm running two or three minutes faster if I, if I put on these shoes. But so that's an interesting thing, right? Where do you draw the line? Because we have the shoes that Bridget Coast Guy run. That's the what the next four percent or what's it called? Next Vaporfly, next percent, next percent. Excuse me. Um, so Coast Guy apparently ran in what may be a r- largely commercially available shoe. But let's go back further. Kipchoge shoes are not out on the market. No one has seen them. They have a whole new technology with like plate cushioning, plate air pockets, AirPods. So at one point. Are the top people just going to keep getting new and new shoes? And you could argue, oh, the shoe companies always do this, but something needs to be put in place because Kipchoge didn't. And also, I heard Kipchoge when he broke the world record in Berlin, he had a shoe that's never been commercially released. And now you say, oh, they always tinker with little stuff. I heard his had, may have had more of a, a higher drop height. So it's like, where is this going to stop? We need some rules put in place. I'm not an engineer, I'm not something, but we need. I don't know. Maybe you just say the shoe has to be out in the market for six months. Then a company, somebody can decide, okay, I want to run an arrival's shoe. It's my best chance. I I just don't know where to draw the line, but I know that the cheat codes are out there. Well, well, I do agree. I think that it's inherently, I want to see the results of a race determined by what runner is better and not who has superior shoe technology. And I do think we're seeing at this point, athletes who run in the vapor flies versus athletes who run in other shoes probably they're receiving an advantage. And to me, that's not fair. It's, is it totally dictating the race? If you lined up Elliot Kipchoge against like Parker Stinson in Chicago, yes, Kipchoge is still going to win, even if he's wearing, you know, trainers. But I, I also want to return to one point you're saying, Weldon, you, you're saying what these other shoes didn't have a huge effect of the Vaporflies, maybe not to this degree, but when Adidas came out with its boost foam technology in 2013, Adidas, an Adidas athlete broke the world record in the marathon that fall, Wilson Kipp saying. And then another one, Dennis Comedo, who's basically just vanished into ether, kind of looks like a spare at this point. He broke the world record also in Adidas shoes the next year. To say that th- that wasn't a performance enhancing, I mean, I think those shoes at the time clearly had a performance enhancing benefit as well. Would you say that they were illegal or should have been illegal? I, I don't know. I, I've not seen that those shoes had the same percentage effect as these the scientists and whatnot, this shows that we need a way to test these things. But I think we're all in agreement. We're all in agreement. If, if that can be proven, I don't know what, what level, because we're, we're always, we're always going to be improving shoes, right? What level may, makes it unfair, but those shoes from what I can tell were also on the market and that makes it a little bit better for me. So maybe if the fallback is the shoes on the market for six months, then it can be allowed in the race. Then at least the Adidas guys can go buy the Nike shoes, test them, and be like, what the hell, just tape up the shoes and wear them. I mean, maybe that's where we're at. Some people might argue that you shouldn't be allowed to patent this technology. Like, okay, fine. You know, like one company shouldn't have only access to this thing. And there's a bunch of commercial interest and whatnot involved. But for fairness of sport, I don't want somebody winning because they have access, they're taking pills that no one else is taking or they have shoes that no one else has. I think it's it's – you know, an interesting case of, okay, well, Adidas was also bad. Maybe they should be banned. And maybe you don't want to go back and validate the 2016 Olympic marathon. I am not convinced that they will do that. I don't think they're even really going to consider it, but they probably should in a matter of fairness. Again, this is a sport where if you step on the line in the middle of a 3,000-meter race, 
for one inch, you're disqualified. It's absurd that they let these shoes, they measure the, the javelin implements and the shot implements very closely, but you can just show up with the most important thing, a shoe for a runner, and no one even takes a look at it. When I complained to the IWF about this this summer, they said, well, we don't have proof that these shoes are illegal. This is talking about Stefan Hassan spikes. How are they supposed to have sp- proof about the spikes when no one knows even what spikes she's wearing in because they're not released? I'm not saying ban all prototypes. If you want to, you know, let somebody have especially a little wider shoe or a little, you know, whatever, but it's a, it's a similar to another shoe that's already out there. That's fine. You know, like if Kipchoge has one a left foot that's bigger than the right foot and they make a special shoe for each shoe, that's fine. But w- when you have a totally different type of shoe that no one has, which was really the case in 2016, the top three were given this shoe, nobody else. That's really unfair. And, you know, I, I think that, John, you asked about the shoes. This is clear to me. How about this? Here's the scenario I put to you. You line everybody up in the race. We put everybody in London. Kipchoge wears a normal pair of flats. He wears, you know, whatever you ran in your race of 5K in. He puts those on. Everybody else in the field gets gets vapor flies. Does he win the race? I'm emphatic. Absolutely not. No chance in hell does he win that race. What do you think? I think he could. I mean, if you're putting Bekele, it depends, it depends what kind of Bekele shows up as well. If we get 2019 Berlin Bekele in that race... Bekele probably wins it. I do think there's a big gap between Kipchoge and everyone else. And I don't know. I, I think he I think he's the only one who could. But I think if you put two guys who have run two or three flat together and put one in Vaporflies and one in not in Vaporflies, the person in Vaporflies is going to win. Here's my nightmare scenario. Next year, the Olympic trials marathon for men. Get someone like Jake Riley, say, is kicking with Scott Farble for the final spot on the team. Scott Farble is wearing Hoka's Carbon X or Carbon Rocket, and Jake Riley's wearing the Vaporflies, Jake Riley wins by like two seconds. You're not going to tell me that it wasn't influenced by the shoes he was wearing. And that is the situation we want to avoid. But the problem with the problem with the structure of the sport is athletes are paid by sponsorships, by shoe companies to wear their shoes in competition. And if you suddenly have one company producing shoes that are much superior to what anyone else is producing, it throws the whole infrastructure of the sport in this flux because athletes are going to feel like they're at a disadvantage but they can't say that publicly and they can't race in other shoes because then they're taking putting a livelihood at stake well right but some 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 people are letting people run in vapor flies and just cover them up or they don't care hats off to the atlantic track club they had two guys run 211 this weekend um former princeton runner matt mcdonald ran 211 30 and then um, Given Wilkerson ran 211.44. Wilkerson Given, let's switch that around. But uh, yeah. What? Some guy from Princeton ran a 211? Was he like a Hebs champion or something? I think it just shows right there these shoes. Nobody, the Americans have been struggling to crack 211. We should have way more 211s. And people are like, oh, we should have more way 11s. Then all of a sudden, Chicago Marathon. And I, th- I think also, I think the new shoes are much better than the old ones. The next percent must be better. Because I'm not convinced, actually. I've been saying, oh, Bekele's like the old Kipchoge. He's only two seconds off. I think Bekele, actually, he's in the now the superior shoe. So Kipchoge's still actually better than him. But, like, all these guys all of a sudden ran 210, and nobody was expecting this. Like, 10 of them went under 212. And some guy, what? Like, who? We, we encourage everyone to read the week that was. I have the stats. In one day in Chicago, 10 Americans broke 212. If you went back the entire last decade, we only had nine Americans do it the entire decade. The shoes obviously were a huge factor. Now, not everybody was wearing a Vaporfly. We started a thread calling what shoes were the Americans wearing in Chicago. One, two, three, four. 
It looks like five of the 10 were wearing the new uh, Next Percent shoes, the Vaporflies. But then at least two of the athletes were wearing unreleased Saucony shoes, which are believed to be their sort of copy of the Vaporfly. So that's seven. And then um, one was wearing the Hoka Carbon X, which is their new shoe, but it's not. I don't think it's viewed as, is as good at the marathon as the Vaporfly. And then two athletes were also um, – well, one athlete was wearing uh, Diego Strada was apparently wearing a new ASIC shoe, which may have been the same shoe that, that Sarah Hall ran in Berlin when she dropped four minutes off her PR. Now I reached out to Sarah yesterday. Sarah says, look, my shoe does not have a carbon plate in it. So she didn't credit the shoe with her four minute PR. But to me, it's like, Hey, everybody's running huge PRs, you know? And John, go ahead. Well, th- there's one thing I want to, I think we should point out about Chicago is that, this was almost a perfect storm for running fast in the marathon. The conditions, the weather was in the you know mid 40s. The wind, there was some wind, but they also had some really good pacemaking from Matt Baxter. And if you look at some of the photos of the American pack, they took turns leading. They sort of packed together. So I think the wind impact was sort of minimized a little bit. And they had this critical mass of guys all going out in you know, 65 mid. When you have all those things, great weather, great pacing, and a group of guys pushing each other, you are going to see some fast times. So I think to say the shoe, and obviously some guys didn't do it in the Vaporfly. So to say the shoe is the only reason, obviously the shoe helps, but we're not going to see this performance if there weren't these other you know, factors coming in together. So it was really sort of the perfect storm is why all these guys ran fast, I think. Yeah, but you tell me, we haven't had good weather in Chicago in the last 10 years. And I think people are raising their bar and they, they, you know, they're thinking, okay, I got to get this Olympic qualifying time in advance and probably thinking of going faster before the rules change. But, you know, some, I think some 214 guys became sub-212 guys. Well, that brings me to my threat of the week, guys. And on the message boards, there's a poster posting under the name of John Wesley Harding. And he has started a thread called Adjusting Top List to Account for the Shoes. And for some reason, he comes up with the saying that the shoes are worth one minute, 18.6, one minute, 18.6 seconds. And if you add in, if you add that time to like, you know, Kipchoge's times or subtract it from Dennis Kimeto's times, it's very similar. So Kimeto's world record would now be, if you, if you take a minute and 18 off, he's run 201.39, just like L.A. Kipchoge. Yeah, he was just giving him three seconds a mile. That's all he did was he's like, I'm giving him three seconds a mile for the shoes. Just, you know, not much at all. Three seconds a mile. Doesn't seem like much, right? Well, right. And I think that's a good thing because then if you let's let's add a minute and 18 to these American runners. Jake Riley and Gerald Mock then both run from 21036 to 21037. They run 211, 54, and 55. So we then would only have two Americans under 212 which is what we've had before a couple times in the last 10 years, generally like zero, one, or two. And then all these other 211 guys have run basically, you know, they're going to run two, two, 212 high, 213 low, and we're not talking about them as much as we were. I mean, still, it's a good day. Yes, they got together. They ran well. But, you know, I just think that everything is significantly faster. Do I think that Bridget Coast guy is an amazing runner? Absolutely. I think Eli Kipchoge is an absolute amazing runner. Absolutely. But do I think that their minutes better than other people in history? No, I do not. Well, all right. Here's my thing, though. So this list, according if you're giving them a 78-second conversion, it's got Dennis Kamedo and Eli Kipchoge tied for first for the fastest marathon ever run at 201.39. 
are we really to believe these two are supposed to be equal? Dennis Kometo, some flash in the pan who had about three good marathon results in his entire career versus the unstoppable dominant winning machine that is Elliot Kipchoge. Kipchoge's 201.39 in Berlin was one of the most phenomenal, ridiculous performances I've ever seen. You're telling me that Dennis Kometo was as good as he was? Dennis Kometo, when he ran that race in 2014, 202.57? I'm sorry. I just don't buy that. I think Kipchoge, you can't say those two are equal with their best performances. I just don't believe that. John, I, I, I think you need to understand that there's a human limit to what we can run. And the, no one is generally miles ahead of other people. I mean, Paul Radcliffe was for a long time, but you know, you run in the 1230s and, that, and that's about as fast as you can run for 5,000, 26, 20 for the 10,000. So you're not going to be way better. So maybe on a, a one day, we're also, I, I, I don't want to accuse Dennis Kometo publicly of being on drugs, but if you went behind the scenes and went to these hotels and you asked people, you know, which marathoner do you think was doped in, in, in the last decade and was never caught? A lot of people would probably mention his name, but it wasn't like he only ran one good race. He did run a 203.45 in Chicago the year before. So a 204.16 in Berlin in 2012. I mean, he he was a, a very good marathoner. Is Kipchoge better? Yes. M- maybe it's not a perfect you know analogy, but I, I don't know. I, I just think that all of a sudden, I, I thought it was the perfect storm. I was already having a little bit of misgivings. When we wrote the recap of Kipchoge, we tried to be positive. We tried to celebrate humanity. Yes, to see the rabbits. Yes, to see that crowd. All of that was inspiring. But let's don't act like, oh, it's people like it's gonna bring millions of people into running and it's gonna change the sport. You know, I thought it was perfect the next day to see this woman's world record invalidated so that the average person could think, wait a minute, these shoes are over the top. Speaking of Kipchoge, guys, how was the race covered in your local paper? I looked in the Baltimore Sun on Sunday. There was absolutely nothing about it. I was in Chicago, so I don't know how it was covered in the local paper, but what I will tell you is I went to a diner for brunch the next morning. And I saw these two millennials on their smartphones and one of them was saying something. I caught only the end of the conversation. He was saying, yeah, it's not going to count for some reason. And then the the other guy's like, why? And then they're like, I use paces or something like that. And then the other guy's like, well, that's dumb. He ran the time. And I just thought that was kind of interesting. That's the layman's perspective is they think this should be a world record uh, because he actually he did run the time, regardless of what shoes he ran it in or who he was behind. Yeah, I mean the layman's not going to care. You're running with shoes, like I don't know. But at some point, I don't know how you draw a line. But if you're running with like pogo sticks and it made you faster, it would be outlawed. Or if I mean Robert's article from 2013, if all of a sudden we came out with a new rubber on the roads and it bounced you faster down the road, we would say that's not allowed. If Spira had come out with these shoes and like all of a sudden Spira guys were just crushing it. The problem is they put them in Nike guys who are already the best. I mean, Nike's just genius at marketing through all these variables, changed the pacing, all this other stuff, got this sort of myth about the shoes. People didn't want to give them too much credit. And it's just, it's just like the perfect storm. Yes. I thought Ross Tucker and we quoted him extensively in our article, but Ross Tucker also on the podcast, I thought he nailed it when he said his podcast, science and sports podcast. He's like, if a minor shoe company had come out with these shoes, they would have been banned a long time ago. But when the biggest, when the biggest person in the industry comes out with them, they're not banned. And I 100% agree with that. Well, let's talk about Cars Guy for a second here. So if we're saying this guy, what was it, 78 seconds was the conversion. So it's probably going to be a bit more for Cars Guy. Cars Guy broke the world record for women by 81 seconds. So are we saying, do you guys think this is accurate that Paula Radcliffe at her peak is about as good as, as Brigitte Cars Guy is now, minus the shoes? I have no idea what to think about anything anymore. 
Um, I mean, Paula's Radcliffe record was so far out there. No one's come close until this, right? I mean, the second best marathon. What's the third best marathon right now, John? 217.01 by Mary Catani in London, 2017. I mean, it's crazy. You know, we have a 214. I mean, that was sort of like what Paula did at the time. But I was just so shocked. Let's give Bridget her, her due. First of all, um, I just had some family stuff on, on Sunday. So I was like running while listening to the race. And I finally heard a split about halfway. And they're like, oh, she came through, you know, like on world record pace. And I was like, what? They haven't even been mentioning this. They acted like her pacing wasn't great at the beginning. And then afterwards, I found out everything. You know, great article by you guys. First of all, she went out sub 10 the first two miles, which seems crazy to me. But she's actually averaging 5.06 the whole way. So maybe that's not that crazy. But Bridget Koskai was ahead of every single American man in the race at mile two, except for Galen Rupp. I mean, that just says something. Then she kind of recovers from going out too fast and pretty much goes 107, 107. It's just like, like, huh? You know, in the past, you go out sub 10, go out 107, you blow up and run 220 or something. And like, she, she is at another level, but I don't know what to think. You know, people are now like reevaluating Paula stuff. Maybe, you know, she on some secret supplement nobody else had. I mean, like, I've always vouched for Paula Radcliffe being clean and you, you can't say anything about anybody, but the shoes and stuff, I think it's kind of funny. Like, so then I'm like, Oh, what's Paula going to think about this? Cause I helped pace Paula to her first world record. And I kind of felt tired of that. And I thought, Oh, Mickey Bridget might beat Paula's Chicago record, not the world record. But John Paula was in Chicago. Did you talk to Paula? I saw her, they trotted her out there and they kind of put her up with Bridget for a photo op. What was the reaction in Chicago? Well, I so I, I wanted to talk to Paula. I didn't actually see her in person, but I did. I mean, I watched the post race interview, and it it was fairly awkward. I would say. I mean, they brought Paula out to Bridget basically for her. I think the hope was she would offer congratulations and say, you know, my record's finally gone. I'm, I'm glad to see you know someone's improving it. That sort of thing. She was not about that. Getting rid of that record. She's like, well, I had it. 17 years is actually interesting 17 years to the day since she first broke the world record with you escorting her in chicago well then and then exactly 17 years later the record's broken in the same city which i thought was interesting but she was like yeah you know i was proud to hold it so long she held it i think she held it for the longest of any woman in history and obviously that's a it's a remarkable achievement but she didn't seem thrilled she didn't say like hey bridget i'm so glad you broke it or you know, it's just, it's just a great achievement for the sport. She was just like, you know, it's a really good run and uh, I'm, I'm sad to see my record go. So it wasn't exactly, you know, it certainly seemed bittersweet or maybe just plain bitter uh, for Paul. I wouldn't go, I wouldn't call her bitter, but she wasn't happy for the record to go. Yeah, I checked Paula's Twitter afterwards. I didn't see any congratulations, but I feel like, of course, her identity is going to be tied up to this. I mean, Kevin Young openly said he doesn't want his 400 meter hurdles record. And I feel like Paula... She hasn't had any close scares. I mean, no one's come within a minute and a half of it or barely within a minute and a half of it. And just to see this thing crushed, can you imagine like the emotions under that two hour? And so one, a couple things. And I think also Paul is in a weird spot because some people now call her out. She used to be like the number one clean sport advocate. Now people are like, oh, you're keeping some stuff secret. I mean, she's in a fight with Betsy Andrew on Twitter. So it's weird. The public perception of Paula has changed, but one, okay. There's a couple of things going on with Bridget Koska. They're different. Let's get them out there. She had these shoes on. So Paula's in a different situation because she's a Nike ambassador. So now did Nike's all of this new shit they're putting out there. Like, okay, if we, 
give Paula these shoes, what shoe time does she run? So she can't, can she trash the shoes? Cause Nike pays her who knows how many hundreds of thousands of pounds a year. And then two, Bridget Coast guy's agent is the Rosas and the Rosas have been linked to the two greatest marathon cheats of our era. Jemima Samgong and Rita Jeptu, the Olympic champion and the five time world marathon major champions. Both of them banned for EPO, both of them represented by the Rosas. Right. And they had also have a history of women marathon cheats. I mean, Rosas have also represented Aspel Kiprop who tested positive and there's obviously nothing linking Bridget Koskai to drugs, but I think this also falls back on Nike because who funds the Rosas groups? Nike. Has Nike ever stood for clean sport? No. So if Nike had like laid the hammer on the Rosas and said, we're going to put in our own testing, secret testing, share this with the public, there might be more confidence that this is clean. And who knows? Obviously, maybe it is. I don't, I don't have any reason to doubt Bridget Koskai except for these things. I mean, I think women can run very fast, especially giving them these shoes. I mean, look at Mary Katani. She's running the other shoes. I thought Katani could probably get pretty close to Radcliffe's record. But I feel like, hey, Nike is willing to push the envelope, never stood up for clean sport. And I feel like now that just all this Nike stuff sort of coming back roundabout. And I'm sure Nike doesn't give a shit maybe because they have both world records and the guy just ran 159 and people are like rushing out to fucking Foot Locker to buy these shoes. But right. f- for the purists, it's a, just a different thing. And I think Paula's sort of caught up in that. She's can't, what's she supposed to say? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple things that well. And one, it's an interesting way of thinking about this from Paula Radcliffe's perspective. When you hold the record, the world record for maybe five years, you view that as a great accomplishment, but you're still competing. It's not really your identity. Your identity isn't tied up in it. But when you have hold, held it for 15 years or something and you've been retired for five years and you still have the world record, that's sort of that becomes a big part of your identity. Like I only started following professional running after Paula had essentially retired. Like I sort of fo- started following it in the late 2000s, the early 2010s. And Paula was at that point sort of struggling for injury to hold on. She, you know, I, I've only really known her as you know, this legend as the world record holder. And now she doesn't even have that. And she obviously has a really fast PR, but it's sort of interesting, uh, you know, how her identity changes and how she views herself because she no longer has this thing that's been central to her running identity for the last decade plus. The other thing you said about Nike and clean sport, I mean, I think it's a very interesting situation here because the world marathon majors have poured a lot of money into out-of-competition testing, into advancing anti-doping. I really think they've been, among global institutions in the running world, they've been at the forefront of really saying, we don't want doping in our sport. And that's partially because women like Sumgong and Jeptu have come along and won their races and forced them to strip them of their titles or not, in the case of some of these athletes. And it's, it became embarrassing for them, so they said, we got to do something about this. But... And you've seen that there are certain athletes who don't get invited to major marathons. Ruth Chepengedich has run 217. She is yet to run a world marathon major. And I think it's going to be interesting. People have suspicions about Rosa athletes. They There will be some people with suspicions about Bridget Cosguy, but Bridget Cosguy has consistently run these world marathon majors. She's being tested out of competition because that's part of what they're funding. And I just think it's going to be interesting Will the world marathon majors wind up with egg on their face saying, well, we, sh-, you know, if Cosguy tests positive in a few years saying, oh my God, I can't believe we still invited her. Or are they going to stand behind this and say, yes, 
we've invested the resources into anti-doping. We continue to invite her because we believe she's clean and we're going to celebrate her accomplishments. It's just sort of a sticky situation. But why would they punish Chepengedich and not Koskai just for their agents? That doesn't seem fair to me. I feel like you should be, if you're going to penalize someone from the agent, it should be made explicit or treat them the same. Um, I think now that Chepengedich has won the world championships, they're going to have to invite her to some of these things, right? Like, can you just exclude the world championship? Because why is she under more suspicion than ghost guy? Right. That's a good question. And maybe they have, because they are both Rosa athletes. Maybe they have some suspicion about Chep and Gedich. Maybe they wanted to wait a few years until they had more data. I don't know. I would be interested to know why certain Rosa athletes get invited to these marathon majors and certain other ones don't. Speaking of the Rosas guys and Nike, if only either one of them took a lead on the anti-doping front instead of sort of hiding from it. I want to introduce my hero of the week. It's Agent Davor Savija of Ikaika Sports. I think they're a Czech group, right, John? Yeah. They've sent out the most amazing letter I've ever received. It was dated October 5th, so I guess it was more than a week ago. But one of their athletes has tested positive, Vincent Yator. And they've sent out like an eight-paragraph statement release about this, and it's pretty amazing. It's like... He has decided to ignore all in-house anti-doping trading. He purchased supplements, over-the-counter medication, blah, blah, blah. They have very strict rules. They tell the athletes, don't go see doctors. Don't take stuff without a permission. He apparently has tested positive. They are outraged by it. They are writing everyone saying that they are going to return. Like, you know, an agent gets like, what, 15 or 20% of an athlete's appearance fees. They're writing all the races saying, look, we're going to return 75% of our commissions for any race he's ever run with us. Back to you. We do not want to profit off of this drug cheat. And even if he cheated unintentionally, we apologize. The, the final 25% are for lawyer's fees and dealing with the you know the cost of it all, of obviously dealing with his positive test. But what an amazing statement. Like, you test positive, you're gone, and we're going to give our money back. Yeah, I think it's incredible. Uh, I really respect, respect that. And that's a case of an agency putting its money where its mouth is and saying, we're not going to tolerate this. We're embarrassed by it. Versus, you know, other, you know, I just think it's a great response. So let me read from this. We should probably publish this in Let's Run. Once Mr. Yator's case is finalized, and in the case that sanctions are imposed on him, Ikeka Sports will reach out to all sporting events from which Mr. Yator's derived income from a 12-month period preceding the date of his adverse analytical finding with the goal to repay 75% of the commission amount earned for sports consulting services, with the remaining 25% of said commission being utilized for legal and administrative costs. The reason for Ikeka Sports to step up to the period prior to the date and report of adverse analytical findings is because we believe for such timeline to be reasonable, given that as far as we know, there is no similar precedent that was established. We would like to emphasize this is a voluntary decision on our part and should not be deemed as an admission of guilt or responsibility. Quite the contrary. We are confident that this gesture will be interpreted as a strong anti-doping message. I love this last next part sentence. We don't see ourselves as part of this societal problem that is placing enormous burden on professional and amateur sport. This is collateral damage, and we are doing we are going to continue to play a positive role, actively working on better conditions our sport finds itself in. Well done, Akeka Sports. If you're looking for an agent. Go to them. They have integrity. Yeah. I mean, amazing job by DeVore. Like, imagine if the Rosas had did this. They'd be giving back hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, I assume, uh, I guess I could look at the math, but 20% of the commissions and what the athletes were getting. I mean, I actually, what could easily be six figures. 
And then if you gave back your commission on like the Nike contract, because the Rose's athletes were Olympic champions and this sort of stuff. It's just sort of crazy that like, I don't know. I just really wish Nike would play a positive role. They do so many good things in the sport. I mean, even like, you know, let's forget for a second, just the debate on the shoes and whatnot, but like coming up with new technologies, new things to help athletes get more out of sport. Like, I think we would all agree those are good things. You know, the questions are like how it should be implemented fairly. But so Nike does, they've done so much and they've inspired their genius marketing company, inspired billions of people. But the just lack of leadership on the anti-doping front has just been terrible. And I think with insiders, it's really hurting them. Does that hurt them at the pocketbook? I don't know. I mean, they've got bigger things to worry about. It's an interesting point there, Well, though. The, the vapor flies, people view this as an unfair advantage, but I, I don't... I mean, I wouldn't call it an attempt to cheat by Nike. They're trying to push the sport forward and give their athletes the biggest advantage possible. And that's part of the thing you do when you invest money into the sport. Is it unfair? It might be, but I don't think... You know, they're not trying to put rockets on here. They're trying to buy, build the best running shoe possible. But wh- why do you consider a rocket different? You know, so if you have some radically different technology or pogo streaks, why are springs considered different than like some new complete heel configuration? Like why is a spring or something... John, I mean, you're, you're, you're using rockets, but like, w- why do we draw the line there? But why do we draw the line at foam? Why do we draw the line at a, mids- a midsole? I mean, there, there is no easy way to draw a line. I don't think you can, I mean, maybe you just say, okay, no carbon fiber plates, but it, are we going to have, uh, I guess, do we need a limit on stack height? Do we need a limit on the amount of foam? I, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, an engineer. I don't, we need some limits was Nike trying to cheat? I think that's too strong an advantage. Were they trying to have their athletes win because they had a shoe no one else had? Yes. Am I against that in principle? Yes. I, I believe in fairness of sport, and I think most people do as well. Most sport fans, we don't want someone winning because they have something someone else doesn't have. And so I do disagree wholeheartedly with Nike's decision in Rio for what they did. Um, if you know you have a technology that, that's, that is that vastly superior to someone else's, um, you, you have an obligation to make it out, out there to everyone. I mean, I guess you could argue I used to go to altitude and sleep in a car and whatever and all this other stuff. I wasn't sharing that with people. I mean, call us all hypocrites, but I don't want someone win, winning for this reason. I mean, like we could have a whole podcast on this. Well, they did think about banning altitude tents for that very same reason. And, you know, I, I, I'm not opposed to these. Sh- at this point, the shoes are out there, the technology. I'm not opposed to you know, they'll let him stay. Just, I think everyone needs to have access to them at a minimum. We need to have the shoes released for at least six months, let them be in the market, let the studies be out there so people can, can, can see them. And, you know, if Nike invents something that's really cool and better than everyone else, and you want to make the Adidas athletes buy them and wear them and take them up, I, I guess that's part of the thing. But if, like, if Adidas is going to cut their contract, then it's a real problem. Who knows? Maybe the, the rule is I mean, you, you could easily have a sport. The IWF can make rules, whatever. They don't have to follow like patent laws or whatever. They could say if the shoe can be used in competition, someone else can put their own logo on it. I mean, like you could easily have that rule, right? Like the sport rules do not have to match the commercial interest or the commercial rules. I mean, who knows? Like, but I don't want maybe at the very least, I want an athlete to know that they can run in the superior product. I'm sure a lot of shoe companies and agents are like, holy shit, they shouldn't have to like break their contract. That's a whole different issue. All right, enough bashing of Nike. Weldon tried to bring in LeBron James. I really don't want to get into how they kneel to the American flag but stand for the Chinese flag. That's a whole other topic. So, guys, 
let's talk a little bit about the American. That's also just a gross mischaracterization of the situation, Robert. But uh, you know, maybe we should get into it. We need to, We need to have a Let'sRun.com stance on China. We'll come up with a policy. Actually, we- oh dear, uh oh. Can someone bring up the Houston GM's tweet so I actually am more informed what I'm talking about? But holy shit, LeBron James stepped in it yesterday. But I think okay, we of course we have to bring this up. It's all about Nike, Alberto. That's all we talk about. Now we'll just replace our Alberto Salabar segment with Nike. I'm sure they probably actually like this. Isn't all publicity good publicity? But I think the Nike thing one shows, for example, like the conflicts of interest. Could we ask Craig Mosbach what his um, viewpoint is on China? Hell no. He's a lawyer for Nike in China and all that stuff. Like he couldn't have an opinion on it. Yet somehow he's supposed to be allowed to like talk about the Nike situation at the Worlds with Safan Hassan when Nike corporate policy is to back Alberto Salazar. I mean, it's just crazy. It shows the conflict of interest and how they need to be revealed. But Robert, give us your hot take opinion on China. I thought LeBron James had a real opportunity to become a hero to become a modern-day Muhammad Ali, to really become something that represented a lot more than basketball. He he wants to be more than a basketball star. He wants to be a movie star. He wants to be an icon. And I think that's forever gone, at least in, in the Western world. He could have stood up and said, you know what? Like America is not a perfect place, but we have amazing freedom. We have freedom of, of press. And I stand with Daryl Morey. You know, I, I stand for democracy. I stand for freedom. I, I, I don't stand for repressive regimes. And and I hope that you know China someday can understand that that you know freedom is the way to go. I mean, this is this is a brutal place. We 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 get our iPhones there. We get a lot of amazing products from China, no doubt. But this is where they have a whole religion and concentration camps. This isn't a complicated issue. And I understand that he he doesn't want to. I can understand how when your sponsor is hugely dependent on China for growth as is the case with Nike. I can understand why he doesn't want to address this. So the better thing would have been to say nothing. But he had more than a week to think about this. And not only did he sort of bow down to China, he basically called Daryl Morey uninformed and said that there's repercussions for your freedom of speech. I mean, th- this is like one of the most ridiculous statements I've ever heard. You know, imagine, well, okay, so does that mean that he thinks that, you know, fine, there's repercussions for Colin Kaepernick, for he kneels, so people can just ban him. So I just couldn't believe not only did he, I would have just said nothing, but he actually went pro pro China, which was crazy to me. Yeah. I was very surprised by it. And I think the tone he took, it just shows LeBron is thinking about the Benjamins. Um, Supposedly also there was a meeting of NBA players, I think before the game in China, or maybe they're in Japan at the time. And LeBron was like, I can't believe something. Supposedly this is reported, I believe by ESPN and others. Supposedly LeBron said, if a player did this and cost us this much money, there'd be repercussions. So essentially saying like, this is costing the league hundreds of millions of dollars. Like something needs to happen. It just shows like, now maybe LeBron isn't informed. And I was listening to the pardon my take podcast. And these guys were saying like, look, this whole thing has made me look into China and there's a lot of reprehensible stuff going on. And I think at the very least, obviously the American way maybe isn't the only way to doing it, but I think, most people here, for sure, and you could say this is a Western viewpoint, believe in like freedom of expression, freedom of assembly, freedom of right to opinion. So you may not necessarily agree with Daryl Mone's tweet, which morally, excuse me, his tweet, which said, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. Maybe, you know, it's just that's too simplistic or you believe in the territorial integrity of China or something like that. But I think 
most Americans would support the right of an American to have a viewpoint on something that another country may not like. And I, I can't believe it would just would have, what is, what is the NBA going to do if LeBron says, yeah, I believe in, I support Daryl Morey's, his right to free expression. It just would have been a, he had a huge opportunity because in some ways the people like LeBron, they can push society way more than like, I don't know, Nike and the NBA have chosen to engage in Apple and every other country almost in, in America and Google even. And you see them sort of slowly kowtowing. I think original, initially we thought, oh, we'll become more engaged with these countries and they'll open up, which I think most Americans and most people in Western world would say is a good thing. Instead, it seems to be going the opposite way, right? Like that now those countries are like, hey, you want to keep doing business here? You stay quiet. You don't say anything about what's going on here. Or even you don't even you're not even allowed to express an opinion that we don't like, which is kind of crazy. It's not only that we have to we can't say anything. We're not allowed to say anything. We, 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 you know, we, 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 it's not just like we can't even we have to respect them within their own borders. We have to respect them in our own borders. I mean, the thing that shocked me was he said he was only thinking about himself, not thinking about others. No, he was thinking about the people of Hong Kong. Yes, he wasn't thinking about the the Nike shareholders. He wasn't thinking about the NBA's interest in China. He was thinking about the the, the people in Hong Kong. I, I just I. It, it's an unbelievable statement. I, I really, I don't know. I mean, I can understand not saying nothing. A lot of people like your conflict. I actually thought about this. I thought about a week ago. I'm like, if LeBron's going over there, what if he comes out with this, just rips China and says, I don't, it's embarrassing that we're, that we're, you know, I, I stand for Hong Kong. What if he had said that? And I wondered to myself, I'm like, could Nike cancel his endorsement contract? Would there be some way that it was written that his contract could be, be canceled? Because it might have, hundreds of millions of dollars of ramification for Nike. If he said something like that, someone that top publicly tied. And, you know, I, I do think that these CEOs play a delicate balance. Oftentimes they don't say things, but to go the other way, just LeBron, just keep your mouth shut. If you're going to say, you know, he didn't need to go like step on it and shoot Mari down like that. I mean, I, I just thought it was really unbelievable. John obviously didn't want to talk about it and has been very, very quiet on this issue. What is up? I thought John was all woke and stuff, but now we can only be woke about issues that affect internal politics. John, give us the, what generation are you? Give us your viewpoint. I'm a millennial. I mean, you got, no, you can, I'm not against you guys having this discussion at all. My thinking on it though, is I'm not, I haven't dug through all the details. I don't want to say something, say something and just have it be misinformed or stupid. But what I do think is from what LeBron's comments were about this, he comes across as anti-free speech. And free speech is one of the fundamental rights of all Americans. It's part of the American identity. And to say that you don't think some other person is thinking properly about what they're saying and that it has ramifications, I mean, that's up to Daryl Morey to say. It's not up to LeBron to decide. It's not like Daryl Morey, this isn't hate speech, or he's, he's he's not yelling fire in a crowded theater. This is something that he's entitled to believe. I don't think LeBron should be, you know, essentially criticizing that decision. That's that's un-American. Well, there you go. Your hot take. Jonathan Gall calling LeBron James un-American. Okay, back to running, guys. We haven't really broken down the 2020 U.S. Olympic marathon trials. Is Galen Rupp in trouble now if there's DNF? I have argued emphatically that he is not in trouble. He was still minutes ahead of everybody at 30K. And... If he's healthy, he's still minutes better than better than anyone else in, in the United States. John Weldon, I don't think that's a controversial uh, take on my part. Do you agree with it? No, I mean, yeah. If he's he clearly his he had a struggle in this buildup for Chicago. He didn't hide that. 
He said he wasn't sure how fit he was going to be. I think if he had really wanted to tough it out, he probably still could have finished as a tough American, but he figured, you know, he it wasn't worth it. Why, if you're not feeling great and you've had this uh, calf strain, which he developed in the race, I don't know if he had a pre-existing calf issue or not, but, you know, he didn't need the Olympic standard anymore, which uh, he should be thankful, actually, the trials had gold, has gold label status because he does not have the Olympic standard and he wouldn't still doesn't have it after Chicago. But, yeah, I think with another few months to heal, he'll be all right and he'll make the team. Uh, but he's in a tough spot here. He doesn't have a coach anymore. His The training group that's been built around him has been disbanded. It's not an ideal situation for Galen Rupp with the Olympic trials just four months away. When looking at these other Americans, I mean, who makes the team besides Rupp? I mean, I think that the who are the two guys that ran two hundred nine in Chicago in, in Boston, John? Do you think they're slightly ahead of these Chicago guys? Jared Ward and and uh, Scott Forbel, and yes, I do because not only did they run two hundred nine in Boston. They didn't do it in the Nike Vaporflies. I know we keep bringing this up, but neither of them are Nike-sponsored athletes. Those guys were also the top two Americans in New York last fall. So I think they've shown, and Jared was sixth at the 2016 Olympics. You know, he's shown he's really good in these races. So I think it's Rupp, and then it's those two, and then there's a huge effing pack. And I think it's much more likely that someone from that pack moves up to second or third than it is that Rupp drops out of the top three or drops out of the top one. Yeah, but Ward was probably wearing. You know, he's a he's a he's a professor. I think he was wearing a Saucony's coming out with their own version of the shoe. Parker Stinson was wearing it. You know, so I think that he may be getting minutes of advantage based compared to a normal fight. The the one that I, I would be most pop, pumped about would be Fobble. Scott, if you're listening to this podcast, Ben Rosario, please, please, please get Hoka's permission to wear the, the vapor flies in the trials, and you will punch your ticket to the Olympic trials. One thing I'm thinking about in, the, in these shoes and the Americans is I pointed out in the week that was, was that the American top American finisher was three minutes and 28 seconds ahead of coast guy, but four minutes and 51 seconds behind the winner and the men's race. So significantly farther away from the men's winner than the women's runner. So that to me also shows you how much the shoes they didn't, we didn't run monumentally better. Just everybody's running particularly Coast Guard, the men's race wasn't that fast at, at, at Chicago because think about it this way. When an American, you know, I, I would argue that a lot of these 212 performances are like a 214 because a 214 was about six minutes away from a 220, which used to be sort of the top women's times around 220. The top men used to run around 206. So, that you know, this kind of middle, you know, the Olympic hopeful American that was 214 guy was sort of, was still a little bit closer to the, to the women than the men at 214, six minutes away from the women eight minutes from the men. Now it's sort of three and five, but they're just running a few minutes faster. And can we just for a second, we're, you know, probably what, 45 minutes, an hour into this podcast. I don't think we've even mentioned the name Lawrence Toronto, who is the men's champion in Chicago. We should just pause for a second, give him credit. One, two straight marathon major victories. He won in Boston by two seconds over Lisa DeCisa. He won in Chicago by one second over Dejen Debella of Ethiopia. And it was a crazy finish. I mean, there were four guys together in the final mile. There were three guys kicking down Columbus Drive at the very end. And then Chirono, as he did in Boston, outkicks everyone for the win. 205.45, so not a crazy fast time. But this guy, I mean, after after Kipchoge, I mean, maybe you put Bekele ahead of him because of the 201. But I think after Kipchoge... You got to be talking about Lawrence Chirono as one of the best in the world with with Boston and Chicago under his belt now. 
John, I thought you were going to say we hadn't mentioned the name Mo Farah or Jordan Hesse. So <laughs> it's kind of funny. That's what I thought you were going to go. And you're like, Lawrence Toronto. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, he's a very good runner, obviously. Um, I was sort of surprised. I was essentially watching on my phone. And the last mile, like they were, these guys slowed down the second half. The last mile actually wasn't that fast. I mean, he did outkick them all. The guy in second place, I mean, I don't honestly, his name starts with a D, I feel like. DeGentabella. Yeah. He, uh, I swear he like celebrated, he did the whole thing where you celebrate second place. And I'm like, did he not try to beat him? Like, what's going on? But I think it's more of a cultural thing. But the sprint finish, because it was like four guys, wasn't as impressive as I thought. I thought it'd be like all out. These guys are just bringing it. And, they looked, you know, worse off than Kipchoge. So they they need the 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 new shoes, obviously. If that I mean that, that, the whole shoe thing, right? It keeps coming back to that. But like, who's gonna who is Nike gonna give access to the Kipchoge shoes for the trials? You know, maybe only certain people will get that, and the other people will now. I mean, it's just kind of ridiculous where we're at with the sport, which is kind of sad. And I, I I'm not smart enough or an engineering enough to fix this. Well, I thought that the. the, the the, the sprint finish was interesting to me because it should have been more exciting than Boston because there's four people versus three, but th- there's just the camera angles. There's not as much camera. There's not as much crowd like in Boston. You're right next to them. I mean, they know how far away the turns are here. It was kind of like you go up that little overpass and all of a sudden you're, you, you just don't know the course as well. I, it wasn't as exciting. I was shocked at how slow the second half was 72, 15, 73, 30. I think it was like a four fifty two final mile. 62, 62 though, for those, those two splits. They didn't run the first half in 72. Yeah, 62-15 and 63-30. Yeah, 62-30 and 63-30. But Walden is right. We have not mentioned Mo Farah. And that, would, to me, was one of the biggest, most shocking things about the race. Guy had run 59 low in, in the half marathon buildup. I assumed he'd be ready to go. He's gone out super fast in London before. And yet he dropped out back before halfway, which I just couldn't believe. And then I'm still amazed. We had all the British press there. We had John there, and I call him up after a few hours after the race. I'm like, "What happened to Farah?" And he's like, "We have no idea." You know, his agent Ricky Sims releases a statement about his say and Rupp, but doesn't say anything about Mo Farah. I thought it was completely unprofessional. I, I thought it was by Farah, by Sims, and by the Chicago organizers. You don't headline somebody, the defending champion, and then let him get away without issuing him a statement at a minimum. It's absurd and it's insulting. You know. Yes, people often skip the mix zone at a track race, but there's 20 events going on at once. It's not that big of a deal. They shouldn't do it, but at a marathon, it should be part of your contract. Just like an NBA and the NFL, you have to face the media after a race. Same thing in running. Unless you're in a hospital, go face the media, Go face the media, Mo. Yeah, and I think we can just say it was, it was a really bad race. I mean, 209.58, he got eighth place. He got trounced by his training partner, Bashir Abdi, who credit to Bashir Abdi, ran a Belgian record of 206.14 for f- fifth place. But yeah, we don't even know. He couldn't hang with the leaders. He looked like he was in good shape. What the hell happened to Mo Farah? And this is like, we, we thought, you know, I think this really throws into doubt. Is he actually made for the, ma- I guess, I don't know. Is it, Maybe it was just a bad race, but it's not a good sign heading into next year's Olympic year. Well, I mean, also maybe it shows that he's human. The guy has run sub 330 in the 1500. So maybe his range, he can be a decent marathoner, but maybe he's just really not made for the marathon. I mean, until Safan Hassan broke the, I guess we had the marathon broken with the cheat codes for the marathon this weekend. I guess she broke the track world at worlds, but we didn't think, you know, someone could excel at the 1500 and the 10 K and Farah, you know, never was a championship runner at 1500, but his times were so good. They're like, is this guy really suited for the marathon? And maybe he taps out somewhere at the half marathon distance. You know, I'm not saying he can't be a 
203 guy or something in today's age, but 203 guy isn't a 201 guy or two, you know, it's like, where do you draw the line? Um, I mean, the whole marathon shifted. It's sort of crazy that the American record is still 205 because top, you know, that's really a long way off nowadays. But Ferris runs 205.11. He's run 205.39. I mean, he, he ran 205.11 to win in Chicago. Um, that you know, they went out in 62.15. So, I mean, I guess that's 204.30 pace, but you would think that he'd be able to handle that pace. So, it's not shocking. The other thing that we haven't talked about, though, is we haven't talked at all about the American women. Emma Bates leads the way, fourth place, 225.27. She's not wearing the vapor flies. I think she is wearing a new sort of unreleased ASIC shoe. So, we don't know. Again, it's kind of like Sarah Hall. We don't know what that means. But again, it, it Emma, it, it's like what I said to the American men, if you're not wearing the, the, the vapor flies and they don't have something similar to that, you need to get on them because then you could be a 222, 223 woman, but 225, 27. I mean, her first marathon went well last year at Cal international. I think it was 228. Um, but that's downhill and point to point. Right. So this was a big step forward to her, in my opinion, very impressive. And, you know, let's, let's try to handicap the Olympic marathon team, John, for the women. Well, I think it's interesting. So you're talking about the shoes here. There are three women, you know, three big Nike athletes who could benefit from the shoes at the trials. Amy Craig, defending champion, Jordan Nassay, and Shalane Flanagan, who we don't even know if she's running the trials. The, our conspiracy theory was she's running Boston. I think I sort of stick by that still. But it's interesting. It might not be as big a factor or it could be. You know, last year in the the last trials, the top you know two of the top three were Nike athletes in those prototypes. But I think the one thing we need to address Jordan to say here. I mean, to me, if she's healthy and she runs, you know, what she's capable of, she is the favorite to win the Olympic trials marathon. The problem is she has signed up for six marathons in her career, and she has failed to finish three of them. She DNS'd both Boston and Chicago last year. This year, she drops out after feeling something in her hamstring after about two miles. So her health, you know, that you, you have to think it's a concern at this point, but that's really the only thing I see stopping a say from being on the team. And then after that, I, I think it's a whole convoluted issue. I mean, Amy Craig has had, she hasn't been able to get to the start line of a marathon since uh, 2018 in, in Tokyo in the winter there. Shalane Flanagan, who the hell knows what she's going to do. Des Linden is sort of dropping hints. She might skip the trial. She's wearing New York. We'll see. So the old guard, we don't really know what we're going to get from them. And then you've got you've got Molly Huddle. You've got Emily Sisson. You've got uh, Sarah Hall just dropped a 222 in Berlin. I mean, I really don't know what to make of this field right now. Sally Kipiego, I think, just ran a PR in Berlin as well. So I don't know. Who, Robert, Robert Weldon, do you guys have a clear picture of who's going to be top three right now? Well, John still can't do it. Still can't mention Kellen Taylor's name. She's in the picture, Weldon. She's right in New York. I'm, I, she's a contender for sure. I'll give her that. Yeah, like I don't know what I don't remember the exact wording, but um, Ben Rosario, coach of Kellen Taylor and the Hoka One One NAZ Elite, was on our podcast earlier the year, and he said, "Yeah, John doesn't give her enough credit. If if he doesn't think she's a contender for the team." What do you say? He'd run his own marathon? He would run a marathon. He'd run his own marathon. Yeah. I think, John, you determined after she kicked ass at the USA 10K champs, crushing Muriel Hall, who was the first American at Worlds that, you know, Kellen now is on your radar. 
she almost beat Emily Sisson. Yeah, of course. And you know, I know she'd run she'd run two twenty four at Grandma's, which I think some people viewed she had a friendly wind in that race. But so I think, and not to totally discredit Kellen here, but I do think one of the reasons is some of the thing women I had you know firm beliefs about a couple of years ago, like oh Des Linden will be fine, Shalane Flanagan. Amy Cragg, Molly Huddle, I think all of those, they all seem to cut above and Jordan has say, we now have a lot of questions about all of those women. So you, that allows someone like Kellen, who was on the second tier and is now sort of moving up to enter the conversation. And I, But I think her run at USA's on the track showed that she belongs in the conversation for Olympic trials contenders. And then I'm very interested to see how she runs in New York uh, in a few weeks. I want to kind of go back and also be interesting to like, what shoes were the women wearing in Rio? I don't think they had access to the new shoes. I don't think Amy Craig had access to them at the Worlds when, you know, she did so well. But you know, you just start rethinking some of these things. No, she did. They had Vaporflies at the Olympic Trials in 2016. They had a prototype Vaporfly. Okay. Wow. So the other ones are coming up, maybe with the new shoes, that sort of stuff. But yeah, like you said, like before, I think we had this. What was it? Top three or four? I mean, Flanagan who we weren't sure how long was going to do it, but Hase, Craig, and Lyndon. And now there are question marks surrounding all of them. Um, and it just really opens it up. Well, it's a lot more interesting about who makes the team. We had the big four or five, and now you've got, I don't know. I mean, Sarah Hall has a better marathon PR than Des Linden. Fact, 222.16. Emily Sisson, John, 222? Wow, in my mind, I was still thinking it was like 224. We, we missed that because of, you know, the world championships were going on and also, you know, the, the Kile running 2141. So it did not get as much love as it should have. And then Emily Sisson, who, to me, the 223.08 is very impressive because what did she run those at? New Balance, whatever they have. Yeah, I mean, it's nothing close to these vapor flies. She gets on those. I think she's a 221 runner. But their performances at Worlds did not impress me at all. I mean, I guess 31-12 is better than what, you know, I mean, I, I guess a lot of these other marathoners would be happy to have that as a as a 5,000-meter PR. That's what Sisson ran, you know. Um, but I, I just sort of expected her after her 223 to become the dominant U.S. distance runner. Now, Ray Tracy, her coach, says she's made for the marathon. But – Right now, at this point, I would say that there is no lock for that team. No, no, there isn't. I mean, if look, gun to my head right now, I think I would pick Say, I think I would pick Sisson, and then that third spot, oh, probably Molly Huddle. But Molly hasn't shown, I mean, I guess she ran New York pretty well last fall. She was behind uh, Shalane, but ahead of Des Linden. I, I think I'd go with Huddle, but Sarah Hold it just ran 222. I mean, it's hard to say she shouldn't be on there. I guess one of my other thing questions about you guys, Sarah Hole, so she just ran 222 in Berlin. Now she's running the Olympic trials. Sorry, now she's running New York, and then she's going to run the Olympic trials. And it was pointed out to me um, in Chicago, Sarah Hole had a big break between her spring marathon and her her breakout in Berlin. And wouldn't you think, hey, I took a while off from racing a marathon and then I I ran a really fast one. Maybe I should do that the same thing, you know, between Berlin and the trials. And she's not doing that. She likes to race a lot. She recovers well. I mean, she ran the won the U.S. 10 mile champs one week after running 222 in Berlin. 
But like, do you guys think this is a risk at all for her running New York, or should she bail on New York and just say, "I just ran two twenty two. I'm going all in for the trials." It's not conventional, but I don't think it's a risk because if she wasn't American and she hasn't been running for 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 you know she's thirty five for at an elite level for twenty years, you you would assume this woman was on drugs. I mean, it's amazing how often she raced it, John. Yeah, she took a break from the marathon after Boston. Boston was on April fifteenth, two thirty five. Not a good showing for her. But then on May fifth. She got second at the U.S. Half Marathon Championship, 71.04. A week later, second at the U.S. Or it says, I don't know. She ran another half marathon, 71.57. U.S. 25K champs. She got second there. Oh, yeah. One was the half marathon. One was 25K. Then she goes to, I mean, she also ran a 10K in New York on June 8th. 10K in in Falmouth, or excuse me, she ran Falmouth in August. I mean, and the New Haven 20K, which she won. I mean, this woman races all the time. Obviously, a marathon takes more out of you, but I don't know. Am I going to criticize her when she's just running the races of her life back to back to back to back to back? So I don't know. It's like, what? who knows what to think anymore? You know, I, I thought kind of it was poor taste. There's a thread on the message board about people saying that the Brits are sort of spreading rumors about Bridget Coast guy on Twitter and people were saying Tim Hutchings saying she, they don't respect her because she didn't have a track pedigree before her marathons. But my whole take on that is Bridget Coast guy is only 25 years of age. She's been running marathons since she was 21 and running pretty well in all of them. So like, what do you expect her to be doing? Like, I don't know. It's not the traditional start off at the junior level. You know, we just saw her when she first started as a marathoner. I mean, one thing I thought about is these shoes they supposedly help you recover a lot better. And I've heard, you know, people go out and do like training groups. Some people may have the shoes and some won't. The guys will go do 30K hard. And then the next day they're ready to go again. And the guys without the shoes are like, hey, my legs are shot. You know, I need more traditional recovery. Uh, Sarah's always raced more, but maybe th- this shoe, which is, you just don't get as tired. Maybe it's easier to recover. She doesn't have the shoe. I thought she did have a shoe. You said she wore it with, with a shoe with a different type of heel. That type of thing. Maybe it's – who knows? No one even knows if it's the carbon plate. It's more maybe the angle and that sort of stuff. But it's different technology, right? Like we don't – no one doubts for a second that the amputee runners have an advantage. This sounds crazy to someone who's uninformed, but the amputee runners have an unfair advantage over the non-amputees. They're running on a, on a pogo stick. Now, they're still running. I mean, what, what, John, why don't you consider that a shoe? Like what if we just had a shoe that was made 100% of metal? Like, would you consider that? Somehow, John, it has to have a rocket on it for it to be unfair or something, or radically different technology. No, I mean, that's, that's a false equivalency. Obviously, the people, the amputees have an advantage. But you're also saying, you're saying that's undisputed. That's not undisputed. Most of those amputees would say, no, they don't have an advantage, and they have some scientists backing them. I disagree with that. But to act like that's an undisputed opinion is wrong. But I, I've heard actually now with the amputees, that's an interesting thing. I've heard now that the new rule is like, what's his name? Greg Leeper. He didn't, he would have been on the US 4x4 team, but he wasn't Blake, allowed to run. Blake Leeper, yeah. Blake Leeper. He has to show the IAAF that his blades are not an advantage. Whereas with the shoes, it's the opposite. You have to show that they do have an advantage. If they made it so that you had to show that your shoes were not significantly better than anyone else's, then maybe these shoes wouldn't be allowed. But we've been, you know, going on for quite some time here, guys. There's one other big event we have not talked about. And also, we normally have our message board threads of the week, etc. Although I brought one up earlier, although I have a second one. Let me bring that in right now. Bridget Koskai ran her first 5K in 1528. That is Jordan Hesse's 5K PR. And follow that up with another 23 miles of world record pace. That's a great thread. How can Jordan Hesse compete with that? The answer is she cannot compete with a 214 runner. She's got to hope that she's sick or injured or something like that. But 
you know, there's still two other medals to go for. But guys, the big story that just dropped this morning, and John, I know John doesn't like it when I take credit for things that I'm not on record for saying. But well, yeah, yeah, hold on. Before we get to that, Robert, Robert said, before, like after Chicago, he was saying, "Can I take credit for calling this?" I said that there no one has come close to Paula's record. You know, we have the vapor flies, we have this advantage. And he is basically acting like he predicted that Cosguy would break, smash the world record. He's like, of course it makes sense because she had the shoes and no one, no woman has broke, come close to the world record with the shoes. Like, I'm going to take credit for this. I'm like, Robert, I put my foot down. You cannot do this. You cannot take credit for a prediction that you didn't make. So uh, he didn't do that to his credit, but go ahead. If you want to take credit for this thing. Let's go, let's go back and check the tape from last week's podcast to see if I came close to predicting the world record or anything like that. But the Olympic marathon has been moved from Tokyo to Sapporo. It's just been released. It's 600 miles south of Tokyo. Average high there is just 79 degrees um, in August, which is much lower than the 87.4 in Tokyo. So it should be a, a much better conditions. And this is fascinating to me. I was very much opposed to the Olympic marathon being run in Tokyo. I think I definitely said that on the message board. I'm like, look, a super hot marathon is not to me is not running. For some people, it's a completely different sport than regular marathoning. This will at least make it somewhat more fair. I'm glad they did it. I feel bad for the people that ran a, a trial race in Tokyo. They came up with a course. I wonder what made them change their mind. This wasn't a hard call, but this was somewhat innovative thinking by the IOC. I guess because in the future they're gonna have Olympics in multiple cities. This isn't that hard. You move the marathon with TV, it's not going to be a big deal. But thumbs up to the IOC for doing it. I just don't know what made them do this at the last minute. Maybe fearfully of a lawsuit or bad publicity of a death? I think the, the marathon at Worlds had to influence them. I mean, they saw how terrible the women's marathon was. One, they probably saw a lot of negative publicity. And two, I mean, like we saw this, I think she was an Italian woman just like go down right in front of us. I mean, it was scary. And also the IWF... They have these these new like I think it's a pill isn't the right word but you swallow this thing and you could put it in there and it would like measure your internal temperature. I don't know if any athletes did this during the marathon, but they're going to have more data then. And then and you know Robert, you said this wasn't a, wasn't a hard decision. I think it's a very hard decision. There's no history of the Olympics moving the marathon away from it is. You know, usually it's like the last event and then they go to the closing ceremonies and maybe they can fly them in a private jet there real quickly. Who knows? But this is very different, and I think sort of institutions have a lot of inertia. So major props to the Tokyo organizers for and the ILC for making this step. And you know, like it just shows someone's putting the athletes first for their safety and whatever. Like this needed to be done. And I feel like sometimes the athletes are sort of an afterthought. Like, oh, of course we're concerned about the athletes, but no, this shows you're putting their health and safety first. Because can you run a marathon in those temperatures? Obviously, they just did in Doha. Should you? Absolutely not. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree with Weldon. It was a tough decision, but I think it's the right decision because as it was scheduled to happen, you have this risk, A, of a lot of athletes having heat-related issues, but also you want to see a real race. You want to see a genuine... You don't want to have Elliot Kipchoge dropping out of the Olympic marathon because of heat exhaustion or severely limited. You don't want to have... Galen Rupp severely limited because of heat exhaustion. You want to have them limited because they're pushing their bodies to the limit, but not because of, you know, the weather or this sort of thing. If you can avoid that, I think it's the right decision. And I saw some, I mean, look, the people who are saying, oh, they should just tough it out. 
Doha wasn't that bad. I mean, you look at the podium in Doha, all those women were pretty accomplished. I mean, it's not like you can't... Ruth Chepengedich was on paper the best woman in that field and she won the race. So you would say, oh, well, the weather didn't have that much effect. Yeah, but that, that's one race. That's one sample size. Like, I just... I think, obviously, the heat and warm weather is a factor in the Olympic marathon. It always has been because it's a summer race. But you don't want to see it become an outsized factor. And I think that was the risk if you had the race in Tokyo. Maybe we should have led the podcast with this, John, because this also is terrible news for about Alberto Salazar and Galen Rupp. Galen Rupp's one of the best warm weather runners in the world, in my opinion. Alberto got him prepared for the heat like no one else. And... I always sort of wondered, hey, you guys sort of discounted this Galen Rupp 2020 Olympic marathon champ. Now I think that's, you know, out the door. I think the worse conditions, the better his chances. He hasn't shown he can run a super fast race. It's still going to be warm, you know, in Sapporo, but it's not going to be quite as warm. So I think, you know, heat is one of his advantages. You said it's bad news for Alberto Salazar. I mean, Alberto Salazar doesn't coach Galen Rupp. Why, why would he, you know, it's not his athlete anymore. John, the poor guy is banned from the sport. He was—he probably already has, you know, scheduled it on his on his TV. What time he'll be sitting there? What time it'll be here in the states? He'll be watching Galen at the Olympics, and now that this is just taken away from him. What do you guys think? Alberto was in Chicago over the weekend, wearing the Bobby Valentine mustache. Yeah, I mean, do you think he was just standing on the course watching, and you know, maybe go Galen, or you think he just stayed at home in Portland? I think he stayed at home in Portland. I think he stayed. Did you guys see that heckling has come to the marathon? I mean, p- people might think this is cruel, but I think our sport is real. But there was some guy on Twitter, John. I think you sent this to me. He like Galen Mofar first runs by. He just yells, "What about your coach?" And then Galen runs by like twenty seconds later. Tell us about your coach. So uh, can I say, "Well done, sir"? Or does that make me an ass? But I just sort of, I don't. I'm not a big sports heckler, but it happens in every sport. Don't take it. These guys are entertainment, and if someone's saying that about them, like they get these guys get paid, have made millions of dollars on their career, and they associate it with this guy who turned up getting banned from the sport, so if they can't take that. What can they take? I still think though, for Rupp, it'll probably be warmer in Sapporo than light than it was in London in 2016. So I still think it'll be, you know, I mean, he'll have a certainly have a shot at a medal, assuming he makes the team. And the other thing that was interesting, and John noticed this was, you know, and actually when I had my Achilles surgery the same doctor as Rupp, he told me, do not complain about how your leg feels until it's been 365 days. So Rupp, I don't think is even up to 365 days. Is he from the surgery from last year? And John, which runner was it? The other American, was it Riley? Jake Riley had the surgery in May, 2018. And he said, you know, it took him about a year to feel back to himself. And then even then his race results didn't really come around until Chicago. Galen Rupp had his surgery on October 19th, 2018. So like you said, Robert, it hasn't even been a full count, a full year yet. I think you give him another four months until the trials. He should be okay. You would, you would think, but you know, I, I don't think Galen Rupp's going to be telling let's run two months from now. How his uh, recovery is progressing. Yeah. But I mean, for me, there was like a night and day difference right around 12 months, all the pain stopped. So, you know, and Rupp's already been able to train for a marathon, which is impressive because there was no way I could have done that at this point, you know, eight months out or whatever it was. So interesting stuff. All right. Well, then do we want to get to our voicemail of the week? Yes. We're not doing threads of the week or anything like that. I guess we kind of already have, but we got some, Oh my gosh, some golden audio. 
I'm just going to start with it. It's a minute and 40 seconds long. It's so entertaining. I think we should maybe just go through it. But if you guys want me to stop it, just yell out and we'll stop. No, it's explosive. I say play the whole thing. All right. Here it is. Voicemail of the week. Hi, I'm a longtime regular on Let'sRun.com. And I'm just calling to say that just because you guys have a fucking corporate office and uh, 1-800 number doesn't mean that you guys are big time now or that you actually know anything about running. Basically, all that Let's Run is is a bunch of liberal fucking pussies and bitches who mouth off and act like experts when most of them don't even know anything about their own fucking discipline. Everything they think they know is incorrect. It's just a bunch of fucking running folklore and non-scientific bullshit passed on from generation to generation of slow fucking runners who didn't accomplish anything. And another thing about you guys that I hate is that you guys hate just to hate. Like, you guys hate Justin Gatlin. You guys hate Rook. You hate Sam Joe. You hate Salazar. And I hate them all, too. But the fact is that I hate them for the right reasons because they've done bad things. You guys hate them just to hate them just because they're better than you. That is what is the difference between you and me is, homie. I'm not a hater. You guys are. I'm fucking sick of every time I post something on Let's Run, it gets deleted just because it's not liberal. The fuck is up with that? You guys are a bunch of fucking social justice warrior vaginas, in my opinion. Anyway, Robert Weldon, whatever your name is, Weejo. Is it pronounced Weejo or Weejo? Anyway, you should clarify that shit. Anyway, just want to say that you should think back to the days when you used to actually aspire to be something. When you actually wanted to be a good runner, even though you almost were one. Okay, fucking my people at work are thinking I'm crazy now. Have a good rest of your day. Bye-bye. Unbelievable. I don't know where to begin. Like he, he seems angry, but he seems like he's having a fun time. So is he secretly a fan? Is he crazy? Wait, we need a ruling. Weldon, how do you pronounce your nickname? Ouija, Ouija. Although at one point people thought Robert and I were Hispanic, Rojo and Wejo. Here's my take on this is like, I sometimes wonder the people on the message board who just post like ridiculous stuff or whose posts are constantly deleted. I kind of wonder, I'm like, what are these people like in real life? And I think this voicemail kind of answered it. You know, he said, that's a red flag. When he's saying my stuff is being deleted on the message board all the time, to get your stuff deleted on Let's Run, it has to be pretty bad. So uh, that sort of brings into question what this guy is about and sort of, you know, some of his, uh, (laughs) I don't know. I think it's an issue. John, don't kill the golden goose. This guy is a, the lifeblood of Let's Run. I mean, I, John may have to be terminated over those comments. This is Daryl Morey territory. We may have to terminate John for those comments. We'll ha- have a discussion, get a ruling, see how this goes over in China, goes over in the boards. But holy shit, John, watch out. But it was just epic in so many ways. One, like we're a liberal website. This is great. Social justice warriors. Well, he's <laughs> been proven correct. We've been fighting for the democ- for the freedom fighters in Hong Kong for half this podcast. Good point. And then also he, he at one point, just the social justice thing. And he, oh, he said, yeah, you guys are haters. I hate them too, but I hate them for the right reasons. And then uh, just the ending was so great too. He's all pissed off. He's like, oh shit, the people at work are hearing me. <laughs> and he says, have a nice day. So I think that shows the great humanity in all people. This guy, he, I think, I don't know. I mean, I think he deserves a Floyd's of Leadville CBD pack. We've been giving out, you know, CBD packs to winners. And if you need certified CBD products, you should go to Floyd's Leadville. And I think Floyd's, you know, they're in the CBD business to begin with. They're fine with being sort of with 
stuff that some people think might be a little edgy or whatnot. What do you guys think? I love this guy. Yeah, send him a CDB party. But I think he's a, a big fan. I love the fact he's doing it at work. I think he's having fun. I, I think he was just kind of screwing around with us. John thinks he may be certifiably insane, it sounds like. No, I wouldn't say that. I don't know. Please email me, sir, robert at letsrun.com. And folks, if you want to leave a voicemail, all you got to do is pick up the phone. Unlike Twitter, unlike Facebook, these multi-billion dollar companies. Being a multi-billion dollar company doesn't mean anything. Look at WeWork. It's all a fucking scam. Let's Run has been profitable from the very beginning. And you can reach us. We actually hire human beings. 844-LET'S-RUN. That's 844-538-7786. Well, I did think it was interesting. He led by saying, like, now that we have this corporate office, do we I, We don't have a corporate office that I know of unless you guys have been hiding it from me. I don't know. John, we haven't really told you about it. You know, Worlds Robert said I'm coming back from the office. And I acted like I didn't know what I was talking about, but we have a huge, there's a huge headquarters. It's kind of next to Under Armour in Baltimore, but maybe one day you'll be brought in. Oh, wow. All right. I guess I, I need to keep head, nose to the grindstone and maybe uh, I'll be deemed worthy of entrance to the Let's Run corporate Valhalla. It's actually in Hong Kong. We have lots of Chinese people that were paying like a few dollars an hour to post on the message board. That's why we're pro Hong Kong. Oh, wow. The secrets. It's all the dirty secrets are being laundered right now because of this one message board uh, guy who left a voicemail. Yeah. And unlike most podcasts, we put our plugs at the end. Back to certified CBD products. Use code Let's Run at floydsofleadville.com. Save 15%. The shit's, they, they, you know, you don't want to get a bad batch of cert- CBD. This stuff is certified. So check it out. Everybody's into certified stuff these days. I mean, CBD. Robert still needs to try this stuff. And yes, athletes, if you're like getting drug tested, you should go for the non-THC stuff because you can test positive if you get THC stuff. No, certification is important. I just saw this scary story on CBS News about like the underground vape world and how a lot of their underground products aren't certified and they can lead to all these kind of terrible illnesses and you know they're all contaminated with stuff and you don't know what's in them. Certified products, you know, you're good to go. That's what Floyd's of Leadville has. Yeah, so don't buy your certified your products from China. Oops, now the Chinese are really pissed off at us. We may not have a website next week. They'll hack us and we'll go down. Well, guys, I think it's been a good show. We had so much to talk about. 214.04, is the official Let's Run.com time for Kipchoge. I was wondering what we're going to talk about next week, but we have a lot, actually. Next week's going to be a fun week. We've got Lisbon Marathon and Half Marathon. Toronto is this weekend. And lots of NCAA cross-country information. Nutty Comb. Did, did Lisbon and Toronto pay you to talk about that, Robert? When do we ever talk about those races? The Lisbon Half is generally pretty good. And Toronto, I think there's generally like some Canadian record attempts, stuff like that. Canadian Olympic trials, actually. So you got that. See? And yeah, Wisconsin invite, pre-nats, NCAA. We might talk about NCAA cross country. Wait, I want you guys, before we go, tell me, name me an NCAA cross country runner. Maybe one that's not Thomas Ratcliffe. Go. Keith Kelly. Okay. He hasn't been in NCAA for almost 20 years. Robert, do you know one outside of Thomas Ratcliffe? Ed Trippis, but he's injured. Okay. That, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. Deep from it's Princeton. Deep cut Australian from Princeton. Yeah, but uh, I think you will know some more names after this weekend. Yeah, John, I only, I only deal with – this has been a tough week for me, John. Paula Ratcliffe's records are, are thrown off the books, and obviously my running career was tied to pacing Paula as their first world record. And I threw out Keith Kelly there because he was a former NCAA cross-country champ who I beat at Mount Sac one year. 
And I'm, I just like these guys who live in the past. I, I'm just clinging to stuff, John, clinging to the past. And as the, the caller said, like we used to try to aspire to be good runners, and now we're just hacks raving about stuff on the internet. It's a sad day. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Until next week. <laughs>